0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen to another edition of something about sports right here on movement radio. I'm Talon Williams. I am Chip
1: Hazard. I'm Roger Sierra.
0: And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we got a pretty cool top 10 list for you tonight. But before we get into the list, um, I want to go over a couple of, uh, headlines, uh, throughout the NFL. Um, anything particular you guys want to discuss first?
1: Um, Aaron Rodgers should be out of the league, but he's not.
0: <laughs> well, that's a, that's a common thread. Um, any uh, like, uh like one well, source of says I think he had a meeting with the Jets. Am, am I saying that am I reading that correctly?
1: Yes, they're flying out to California to talk to him.
2: Yes. Uh so there's that. Uh Aaron Rodgers could be a, a QB for the Jets next year. Uh speaking of mm-hmm. QBs, uh the Ravens use the franchise tag on Lamar Jackson. Uh still not exclusive franchise yeah. tag. Still going to pay him somewhere between 32 and 42 million. Is that right, Raj?
1: Something like that. But he is available to talk to other teams for another offer. And the Ravens can match that offer. But if they're tagging him, there's not going to match an offer. It doesn't make sense. Right. Right. Um,
2: the Giants signed uh, Daniel Jones to an extension, but used the franchise tag on Saquon Barkley. So uh, we get. Another yeah. year of Daniel um, Dimes and Saquon. Uh, I think they may have used the franchise tag on Saquon because he has been so injury prone, but had a really good season last year.
1: Right. Well, yeah. I mean, like we said, in you know, throughout the season was as long as Saquon is healthy, that team's going to be relevant and good, and they were. Um, him and Daniel Jones make a good tandem, but Daniel Jones signed a 160 million uh, four year extension. 82 million guaranteed, um, up to 35 million in incentives. Um, <laughs> Barkley will make ten million in 2023 under the non-exclusive franchise tag. Uh
2: right. Uh sticking with quarterbacks, um Geno Smith just agreed to a three-year $105 million deal with the Seahawks. As well, well
1: as uh, one oh, thing we'll I didn't speak. realize. Uh, one thing I did not know about Daniel Jones' season—he only threw five interceptions. Oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah, that's
2: good.
1: Yeah. Um. Uh. But oh, yeah, other other franchise tag people. Just to get through it real quick. Oh yeah. Tony sorry. Pollard was what Monday. Um, I believe. Yes. Uh, Darren Payne from uh, also Monday. Josh Jacobs was franchise tag Monday. Mm-hmm. He's in a bad situation because we have no idea what their quarterback situation is going to be. Um, yes. It's Derek Carr signed with the Saints. Yep. That's yep. another thing we got to talk about. Evan Ingram was the Jaguars with franchise tagged. Obviously, he's very injury prone, but he's very efficient. Hopefully, they can figure something out with him because – Trevor Lawrence likes them, so they use them efficiently. But those yep. are the major ones. Um, the Bucks and the San- and the Titans, I mean, are going through a full rebuild right now. The Bucks are releasing a crap ton of people. And the Titans are shopping Derrick Henry. Yeah. Yep. Well, and Derrick
2: Henry. Um, the Dolphins are releasing people as well. Yep. Byron uh, Jones.
1: Yep. Like, well, Byron Jones can't play though. Yeah, he can't run or jump at
0: this point, you know. So it
1: makes sort of sense. I mean it's a dick thing to do, but it sort of makes sense also. Right. It frees up uh, like 13 uh, million under their cap. 13.3,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah, and they're still up 13. in the air. 6, with, I'm sorry. Yeah, and the Dolphins are still up in the air with Tua. Uh rumor is he could be
0: traded um
1: to the to the Vegas. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Raiders. Yeah, I, well, see, I've heard. See, from 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 uh, the groups that I'm in on uh, Facebook, the Dolphins groups, and they may be loon to see. I mean, who hell? Who knows where they get them sources from? But the three main ideal destinations, if people were going to trade for Tua or trade Tua, would be uh, what we talked about: Vegas. Um, which I don't I mean. I guess it's better to trade. In the conference and not the division, because obviously, I don't think the Dolphins, which really, I mean, really, I mean, if Aaron Rodgers, if, if we play the hypothetical, if Aaron Rodgers goes to New York, you got Josh Allen in Buffalo, you got Mac Jones in New England. Obviously, they're not going to trade him within the division, nor I don't think that they would. Um, But from what I've seen, they're talking LA. They're also, I heard Arizona was another possible destination um and then i seen tampa was a destination considering that tampa um as of now still know tom brady don't know you know of course he announced his retirement but then he announced it last year's we'll see what happens um but those are the three that i've heard i've heard vegas i've heard arizona and i've heard tampa bay um i even heard another somebody had a theory about the dolphins possibly trading up cuz they really don't really have that much draft capital if any to speak of um but possibly trading players and future picks to get into the first round of the upcoming draft uh in a high spot within 5 to 7 or something along those lines where they're going to try to go after a quarterback whether it be it ain't going to be Bryce Young or CJ Stroud I think they're going to be one, I think they're going to be the first two quarterbacks taken off the board although people have said that Anthony Richardson's uh, stock has risen due to his performance at the combine. Um, but we'll certainly see what happens. I see, but in order for, in order to get that to move heaven and earth to get like a top prospect quarterback, I mean, the dolphins have great players on defense. You're going to have to give up a bunch of defense or give up Jalen Waddle. You know what I mean? Like you would have to be, it, cause no one's going to want just Tua. Like, oh, you're shopping Tua? Okay, we'll give you that. Just say the Chicago Bears. Yeah, we'll give you the first overall pick. Uh, you give us Tua, you give us Jalen, you give us uh Jalen Phillips X, you know, pretty much a King's ransom, basically. Um, I don't know if that's I don't know if that extreme's gonna happen, but uh we'll certainly see. Um but, Yeah, I don't uh, think that's
2: gonna happen. No, uh, I it, think it'll it, just I be I think it'll just be Tua and picks uh if they do
0: decide to move up. But I, I, we don't have picks to work with, though. That's just the thing. We have they're going to they're have to very use little to picks. no draft capital.
2: Yeah, they're just going to have to use future picks. Um, mm. But uh, also, the uh, Jaguars wide receiver Calvin Ridley was reinstated. Uh, this was uh, yesterday. He got reinstated, and just a tad bit about uh, the combine. Uh, Stetson Bennett. Did, apparently did really well at the uh combine Bryce Young uh did really well and his official measurement is 510 and one8 inches at 204 pounds everybody said he was shorter than that but you know we'll see and uh, Florida's Anthony Richardson actually uh was the top quarterback of the combine uh he set uh QB marks for vertical and broad jump. Uh he now holds the records for those.
1: Yeah. Uh the best thing so far for me that's been out of the draft is Lucas Van Noy. Uh yeah, Lucas Lucas Vaness being a super surprise for me. Yes. Uh, yeah. Super fast, super strong, agile. Um really was a surprise for me. And also, um, shoot, who was it? There was another one. Um, Trying to think about it off the top of my head and I keep forgetting. Um, ah, It was another defensive player. They
0: say, mm-hmm. uh, Texas's uh, uh no one Smith. Was... Smith, Smith, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, they say B. John Robinson, uh, says his versatility creates a very, very high value, and that he is actually now slated. He's ranked currently by Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay over at espndraft.com. He is ranked the number sixth overall best draft prospect. Um, now it just depends on which team needs a running back um which well anybody I mean, who gets him a steal if they take him really if they take him high i, th- I think it'll be a steal because i mean he's a very very versatile running back. chip you know you've watched him play at texas
2: yeah yeah Bijan is is a good two-way player he can play uh running back or from the slot so whoever gets him it's it's gonna be good um because he's 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 a good a really good runner um but he can also catch the ball really well. So right. uh, um I think that's about all of the uh the news for now. I, I'm not seeing anything else. Uh you guys got anything else real quick?
0: No. no. I, I was just gonna uh go back to uh Tankathon real quick and there really hasn't been that many big changes other than Anthony Richardson jumping from like 13th or or like 22nd overall to now they got him going seventh to the Oakland Raiders now jumping uh, Will Levitt's and they're saying Will Levitt's could possibly be going to the Carolina Panthers at nine so a whole lot of you know mixing and things of that nature Um, they actually have because now the Houston Texans uh, have the number two pick and the number 12 pick uh the Houston Texans are still at this point still taking uh as of this mock draft Bryce Young quarterback out of Alabama and also uh at the number 12 pick picking up Quentin Johnston wide receiver from TCU um yeah and of course the Dolphins have a first round pick and uh I don't does Denver have a first round pick? Uh let me look through here. Okay, you want, you late uh, one. Uh I'm looking through here now. mm
1: no, we don't have a first round this year. Mm-hmm.
0: No, yeah, you you traded the yeah you traded the fifth pick to Seattle. That was part of the Russell Wilson deal. Yeah, uh, your pick. Brought, uh, the the Broncos don't have a pick until it's the third. Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. it actually got back to back picks at sixty eight and sixty nine, where you got to well, take yeah. Blake Freeman out of uh, BYU and uh, Keanu Bennett out of uh, Wisconsin.
1: I don't think that's what we're picking at all. Michael Payton in there. So like I said, it won't matter. All um, right. He's gonna make the pick he wants, and I think he's gonna start bolstering up our offense more.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so too.
0: Definitely.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. But yeah, but that being said, ladies and gentlemen,
0: shout out to the com for our list tonight. Tonight's list is the top ten most important players. In NFL history from the plays to their overall impact these 10 players shaped the NFL into what it is today now it's always something to try to rank the best players in the NFL there can be debates on the big guys but it's generally easy to pick who can rank among the greatest but when it comes to the importance well it's a little bit trickier Most of the important figures who created the NFL are normally the the behind-the-scenes folks, coaches, executives, and others who made the league what it is today and not the players. Yet some players did make a huge impact on the NFL. It wasn't just their style of play or how big of a star that they were. They shifted up a certain position. uh, They created a new rule or two or Three, or in one case even coined the term that became a football uh, pr- Par- parlance. 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 I think it's how it's pronounced. Thank you. It's tricky to tell, but these 10 players ranked as likely the most important NFL uh, players in history in many ways. And without these players, pro football today would probably look a whole lot different so let's not waste any time let's jump straight into this list this is the top 10 most important players in nfl history uh which one do you guys want to take the first one or not
1: but not not our picks yeah these are our
0: picks knows. these are from yeah these are from the sportster.com uh michael weiner was the uh, writer of this piece uh from august 2nd 2022 so let's jump on into it which one do you guys want to take the first one
2: um i, I guess i will uh First off, we're going to talk about Don Hudson. Now, this was from a bygone era. None of us were alive uh, to witness this man play. But um, without Don Hudson, the oh, wide receiver, yeah. as we know, it, it may not exist.
1: Uh,
2: <laughs> the fir- <laughs> The first Green Bay Packers legend, <laughs> Hudson was drafted by the team in 1935 and played his an entire 11-year career for them. So what was that about? 12 games. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Something but, like that. <laughs> uh, he was the first man to get a thousand yards receiving, creating many of the pass routes that are still used today. A three-time NFL champ Hudson set records that stood for decades with his greatest impact being shifting up what a right, wide receiver should be a charter member of the pro football hall of fame. Hudson's legacy has been emulated by every wide receiver since uh, now uh, unfortunately I, I have never seen him play I've never seen him play on tape uh, obviously cap. not in person
0: <laughs> he's a cat
2: are you telling this me you watch this man play
0: nah, you no don't. he, he said him. he watched you play you watched him play
1: you was out there watching him play <laughs> Shit. I bet you're in the background of this picture of right here, somewhere <laughs> in the background.
2: I am. Look, three rows back, four, four seats over.
1: I can tell you, you
2: can see He's me. Back when he had the Mohawk. <laughs> yeah. With the movement radio <laughs> hat and everything.
1: <laughs> yep. The <Some> time <tongue>
0: traveler. <laughs> hey, the shit. Hey, that shit's real. Anyway, no, um, but Don Hots- Hudson Hudson. Hudson. Um overall, man, you think about like his contributions to the game um you know and not only was he a player for the green bay packers he was at and he was also a coach well he was an assistant coach for the green bay packers from 1944 to 1948 Uh, a three-time nfl champion two-time nfl uh, mvp at the wide receiver position which that would never happen in today's day and age because of the quarterback bias um eight-time first team all pro four-time nfl all-star eight times receptions leader Seven times a uh, leader in receiving yards and nine times in receiving touchdowns. He was a scoring leader uh, five times as well. He also led the league in interceptions also in the year 1940. Um, And he's part of the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame. The number 14 has been retired. Um, He does hold still two NFL records, the most seasons leading the league in points, um, which is tied with kickers Gino uh, Cappelletti. And Steven Grokowski, uh, of the New England Patriots and the uh, Minnesota Vikings, respectfully, and he has the most seasons being leading league in touchdowns with eight. Um, and his career, you know, overall his career eight uh, four hundred and eighty eight receptions, seven thousand nine hundred ninety one yards, uh, only ninety nine receiving touchdowns and thirty interceptions. Uh, and he's also obviously pro football hall of fame and college football hall of fame in the same sense. Um, so that's a little bit of the insight. Uh, any, uh, any knowledge that you may have over, uh, about Don Hudson,
1: Raj? Nah, I only know him cause just, he's one of those legacy guys that we're talking about. Right. I mean, I mean, my God, man, he held so
0: he, he still to this day, man, he holds a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting, uh, records. um, he, you know, he he was a really good, uh, you know, they said in the blurb, it said that he was the, the archetype for what the modern-day wide receiver is. Um, you know, so he, you know, maybe he was the first one to maybe run a slant. First one to incorporate, you know, the deep threat. You know, maybe he was the first one to, to do those things. I mean, this is back when they wore the leather helmets. You know what I mean? So maybe he was doing things all the way back in the 1930s that were maybe revolutionary at the time that he was playing
1: them. You know what I mean? I mean, and most likely he's probably just an athletic guy that ran really well on the right. outs, because, I mean, back then it was just run ball.
0: Right. I mean, they ran the ball most of the time anyway, but, you know, to have that weapon on the outside, you know, like when – because – I don't, I don't know if maybe green Bay was the first one to maybe utilize the passing often, more often than other teams have. Um, but, but yeah, I would say Don Hudson's probably, I mean, obviously hall of famer was, was he in the very first class of the, was he in the inaugural NFL hall of fame class? I'm going to, I'm going to look that up real quick. So I'm, yeah, yo, this is under yeah, Curly Lambeau. This was way, 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 way back in the day. Um, yeah, give me a few seconds. Let me look it up just for a second. Uh, let's see list of Hall of Fame inductees. Uh, let me scroll through here, and boom, the inaugural class of yeah. It says here in the inaugural class, which was 1963. It was Sammy Bob, Burt Bell, Joseph Carr, Dutch Clark, Red Grange, George Hallis, Melhine, uh, Pete Henry, Kale uh, Yar- Hubbard, Don Hudson, Curly Lambeau, Tim Mara, uh, George Preston Marshall, uh, John Blood McNally, uh, Bronco Mag- Nagurski, Ernie Nevins and Jim Thorpe. That was the original class of the very first NFL Hall of Fame class back in nineteen sixty three. So I mean the, the the pioneers basically of uh of the NFL basically. Well pro football as we know it in modern day. But uh any final thoughts on uh Don Hudson?
2: No. Cool. I, I can't give any on. kind of information on
0: him without having seen him play or anything yeah. like that. Right. That's that's why I'm only giving general information because I've really never seen any tape on him either. Um, but moving on from there, Roger, you want to take the next one or you want me to take it? You go ahead. All right. Next one on the list is Deacon Jones. Deacon Jones' greatest regret was that he was never trademarked. He, he never trademarked. Uh, the term he coined for tackling the quarterback. If he had, he'd have been one of the most richest men in football. Arguably, the best defensive end of his era, Jones was a standout mauling opponents for the Rams and other teams. He became known for tackling the quarterback. And when asked how he did it, offhand he just said, "Just sack the guy." Just as j- just yes, it was Jones who created the term sack. Which has now become a statistic in the NFL. While his legacy as a was while his legacy as a player is great, Jones' best contribution was one of the NFL's most used terms. Uh he was he's also on a top ten list of scariest NFL players of all time. Um that being said, how do you guys feel about uh Deacon Jones?
2: I mean, I've seen tape of Deacon Jones and
0: and Homeboy was a monster. Yeah, he was. Yes, he was. What about you, Raj?
1: Yeah, the same. I've seen a lot of the highlights and everything like that. Um was a monster, one of those really outstanding defensive guys that sort of revolutionized the position for that generation. Right. Unfortunately,
0: the, the the career highlights and statistics that they give me here. Um he was obviously he was a two-time uh, NFL Defensive Player of the Year, 1967 and 68, five time all pro, uh, Three-time second-team All-Pro, eight-time Pro Bowler, five-time NFL sack leader, um, and then also the the '60s All-Decade Team, the hundredth anniversary team. Um, unfortunately, they don't really count his sacks because sacks didn't become a statistic until um, really after his. I mean, yeah, they they say 1964 he was the sack leader, um, but. Unfortunately, right here where it says NFL statistics, it only lists his two interceptions and in nine hundred and one hundred and ninety-one games played. Um, so if you could imagine if sacks occurred. So the un okay, here I found it. This is the unofficial annual sack total that he had. Um it said he had eight. This is by the year, this is from 1961 to 1974. He had eight, twelve, five and a half, twenty-two, and 19 18 21 and a half, 22 15 12 four and a half, six, 5 and 3 uh so when you add all that together i mean that's that's way over 100 and something sacks in his career um but it says in 1967, Jones had 21.5 sacks in only 14 games. He, ta- he tallied 22 sacks in 14 games the following year. If it was official when they recorded the sacks, this would have stood at the as the NFL record up until Harvey Martin's 1977 campaign, in which he totaled 23 sacks. This number was also equaled by Al Baker the same year. The term SEC had yet to be uh, coined at the time. So the official SAC statistics uh, uh, pre-1982 don't exist. So anyone who has SAC stat, uh, statistics, they don't count, even though they coined the term, they they created the statistic in 1982 so therefore, all the sacks that you accumulated over the course of your career—if you somehow play between the years of the up, up to the '30s, all the way to 1982—they don't, you know, because nowadays, I mean, somebody gets like like okay, what we talk about? Aaron Donald, JJ Watt, uh, you know, you know, uh, TJ Watt, like all these, you know, sack leaders, you know, uh, Michael Strahan, you know, they're. Praise because of the sacks that they were accumulate, being able to tackle the quarterback and things of that nature. Could you imagine the I mean, granted, Deacon Jones for many, many people there is like, oh man, he's he's one of the best of all time. Imagine if they did say, you know, if it because it, it says still says the unofficial annual sack total. If they made like I don't understand why they can't just say, okay well, why can't we just go ahead and say, okay, this person had the sacks, let's just go ahead and just implement it. Because if you you count all of it up, that's 173.5 sacks that this man had in his career. You know what I mean? Which would put him third all time. You know what I mean? So why can't they just say, oh, because we didn't coin the phrase until 1982, we can't quantify it, I guess? I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting, but but yeah, Deacon Jones was a monster, man. He really was. Yeah. He really was. All right,
2: next that on being the list. Said,
0: sorry if that rambled. I was just you know giving information. Um, but moving on to the very next one on the list, Raj,
1: that's you. Next on the list, John Mackey. Um, it's not just his playing career that makes John Mackey a vital part of the NFL, he's a five time pro bowler with the Colts who was part of their who was a part of their Super Bowl championship team, Uh, Mackey was a fantastic star and easy Hall of Fame pick. But his greatest legacy was becoming the first president of the NFL's player association. Mackey led the association in a strike for better player benefits, a lawsuit that opened up free agency. Um, Without Mackey, NFL players wouldn't have the clout they have, which makes him respected for so much change.
2: Hmm. I didn't you know go. yeah, I didn't know that. Um I mean I I I had heard his name uh when, when you know you, you obviously looking at teams that have won the, the Super Bowl or whatnot. I, I'd heard his name. I didn't know he was the first president of the NFLPA.
0: So Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he became the first president back in nineteen seventy. This is all of the NFL and the AFL each had a candidate for president in mind. Mackie merged as a leader for both sides that both emerged as the as the leader that both sides could obviously agree on uh, holding the position up until September of 1973. Um In his first year as president, Mackey organized a strike following a lockout by the owners with NFL players seeking additional pension compensation and insurance benefits, as well as higher pre and post-season pay. Uh, the strike resulted in increased fringed benefits for NFL players, totaling up to $12 million. Hmm.
2: Interesting. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I guess next on the list is me. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to talk about Junior Seau. Uh, so this falls under the heading of tragedy. But in many ways, Junior Seau's impact on the NFL is still felt today. Uh, a 12-time Pro Bowler with great numbers, Seau led the Chargers to a Super Bowl and retired as one of the best linebackers of his time. Uh, His suicide in 2012 was shocking, but more so were the scans of his brain showing the long-term damage of the concussions that he had suffered. Sales passing revealed the truth of CTE and players, an issue that continues to, to bring to debate and try to mitigate the harm. By lifting the veil on a complex topic, sales passing may have been his most significant contribution to the NFL. Um, I probably, it probably was as good as he was, um, him, you know, committing suicide and then us learning more about CTE, uh, when it comes to football, it's probably more impactful than anything he ever did on the field.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. CTE was like, I mean, Mostly when you hear about CTE, um, and there's been a lot of players who've played football who um, did have CTE, and then some of them, you know, some some of them just deleted themselves pretty much. I mean, Junior Seau obviously took his own life. Andre Waters, uh, later on after he committed, um, after he... uh, killed himself, he had it found out that he had CTE. Mike Webster the Pittsburgh Steelers also had it. Uh Javon Belcher was probably one of the most infamous ones um for the simple fact that he actually um killed his his wife and then drove to the facility uh because he was playing for for Kansas City at the time, drove to the facility and shot himself in the head in front of coach Andy Reed and uh Romeo Cornell, I think. No, he wasn't there yet. I'm sorry. Uh, Whoever else was there with him. But yeah, um, just, you know, it's, 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 it's a bad thing to think about, you know, but that study would, especially with Junior Seau, it allowed players to look more into like their mental health, their benefits for, you know, like, do we change, we need to change the equipment around. We need to get better equipment, you know, and and things of that nature. Um, And there's people right now who are dealing with cte because cte and we later learned this i think it was a, a ucla did a study where cte if you if if players have cte it could also lead to them also having als as well i don't know if you guys uh, have heard that story, heard that report or not no, uh-huh. but see, yeah, see. Apparently, they say the CTE is linked to a uh, to, linked to ALS. So that being said, let's move on to the very next one on the list. The next one on the list is Pete Gogolak. I want to ask how his last name is pronounced. Um, for decades, kickers in the NFL used a variety of styles that made that made field goals anything but a gimme. Then Pete Gogolak came along. His soccer style kicking helped the Bills two-time AFL champions with some terrific accuracy. Excuse me. It was Gogolak who showed this powerful kicking style was not only more effective in hitting the range, but offered more power for long kicks. His decision to join the New York Giants in 1966 kicked off the quote-unquote War of the Leagues that paved the way for the NFL-AFL merger. Oddly enough, not only... I'm sorry. Let me read it. Start over. Oddly, not a household name, Gogolak is critical for the look of kickers in today's NFL. Not to mention the AFL merger. So, how, do you guys know of Pete Gogolak? Have you, if you guys ever heard of him? Honestly, no. I mean nope. Never. I'm looking him up now to see, you know. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know, I mean, a kicker or part of a bidding war, that's interesting. Um, if a Budapest. Okay, cool. Um, I mean, as a uh, field goal kicker, he was 173 out of 294 with a field goal uh, percentage of point five eight eight. So, um, but yeah, but it says right here, like what we talked about, he sparked the war between the leagues which effectively expanded – it basically created part of the NFL-AFL merger. Um, So in a weird roundabout way, had he not been a part of it, I think – I mean, do you think the AFL nfl merger would have still taken place even without the soccer-style place-kicking that this guy was doing?
2: Yeah, I still think it would have taken place.
0: Yeah, yeah, I do too, Raj.
1: Yeah, because they both were failing and wanted to make money.
0: Hey, there you go. Exactly. Um, but I mean, I guess he can. You know, I mean, he was the first one to, you know, I guess kick along. Like I, I'm, I'm looking to see. Uh, he holds the Giants' all-time leading uh, scoring record at 646. He holds the franchise record for most points after touchdowns, which is 277. Most PATs in a game eight against the Philadelphia Eagles back in 1972. Uh, Held record for most consecutive points at point after kicks at the time of his retirement, which has since been broken. And it was at 133 and he held the record for the most field goals attempted at 219, making 126 of them at the time of his retirement, which that record has since been broken. So, you know, just some information on anybody out there who may not know who he is. I just gave you a, a little bit of information. That being said, if we don't have anything else to discuss about Mr. Gogolak, we're going to move on to the very next one on the list. And, Roger, I believe it's you.
1: Uh, next on the list is Mel Blunt from the Iron Curtain. Um, when you have a rule named after you, you're an important player in the NFL. Back when pass interference rules were far less strict, Mel Blunt was a key part of the Steeler dynasty of the seventies. A four-time Super Bowl champion, Blunt's smashing of opponents was so wild that it crafted a rule that defensive backs can only make physical contact within five yards of the line of scrimmage. While some may grouse about that today, it shows what an effect... Blunt had that the NFL had to craft a new rule just to prevent him more from following in his wicked footsteps.
2: Yeah, Mel Blunt was another one of those uh, dudes that was just a beast.
0: Right. I mean, you look at because he, what position did he play? Was he a People corner? In the back. It, it was a corner. Yeah. Um. But I mean, think about it, man. A lot of those, you know, players, you know, like some of the best corners or you know safeties especially the strong safety positions like they some of the hardest hitters man I mean I remember Sean Taylor lighting people up I remember Troy Polamalu lighting people up Ed Reed would light people up Sheldon Brown would light people up or he lit up Reggie Bush that one play um but yeah I mean basically it was throughout his you know midway through his career you know when they attacked the um when they attack the rule of, uh, you know, basically saying you couldn't, which pretty much became white, the, the jam rule basically, um, with, you know, like you can touch them up to five yards, but then, you know, anything after that's past interference, which, hell, some, in some cases they still call pass interference. You can breathe on somebody the wrong way and they'll call pass interference. Um, but that's for a different discussion. Um, but, but it's just because of how physical it, that he played. I mean, you want I mean, that's just the way he played the game, you know.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, anything else on Mel Blunt? You want to talk, say Raj? I
1: mean, no, just one of the part of the steel curtain.
0: Yep. Next one on the list. Uh next up
2: is uh Mr. Cool himself, Joe Namath. Uh, right Joe. Yep. Uh, so to be blunt, Joe Namath wasn't that great of a quarterback. However, he is a key figure in history thanks to his bold prediction that changed everything. Before Super Bowl three, the AFL was considered a weak pretender to the NFL, with no one taking him, ser- no one taking the AFL seriously. So when Nick. Ne- Namath guaranteed that his New York Jets would defeat the seemingly unstoppable Baltimore Colts. Uh, Everyone laughed. Instead, Namath crafted a fantastic upset victory for the Jets. It not only made him a legend, but proved that the AFL was no joke, leading to the latter NFL-AFL merger that changed the league as we know it. Thus, if nothing else... Broadway Joe uh Broadway Joe's prediction was a key moment in NFL history. Um yeah, I mean, you know, Joe Namath, he gets a lot of credit, uh but if you you look at his stats and actually go watch go back and watch him play, he wasn't uh, uh setting things ablaze uh per se. But no. I mean, I he he was he was decent for his time.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, but at the time, this was again back in the 1960s, you know, he was. Can we, can we say he was one of the, uh, how can I say this? Could we say that he was like the first like star, like superstar kind of, you know, quarterback? Cause, you know, he had the mink, he had the glasses, you know, he, you know, he had that swag about him. Uh, could we, was he, was he really the first one to like really like, have that persona as at the quarterback position where it was like it's cool to be the quarterback? Um,
1: uh, Staubach, yeah, Unitas. Namath, but
0: but but he wasn't, but, they weren't as flashy as 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 Namath though, but
2: they were superstars, they they were superstars. Uh, Namath just made it flashy, yeah.
0: So, so, but that, but that's the question I'm asking. Was Joe name? Is Joe Man? It's like that first flashy quarterback that people, you know, um, you know, because I mean, again, man, uh, uh, like what we said, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago um, when we talked about the greatest Super Bowls of all time. When he made that prediction, you know, everyone just, uh, just scoffed at him, just laughed at him. No one took him seriously, and then they come through and they beat the Baltimore Colts when no one thought that it was possible, you know. Yeah. yeah, no, I not. think this. I think I think I think this particular one, and again, this is no disrespect to Mr. Pete Gogolak or Gogolak or whatever you pronounce his name. But I think this Joe Namath being is more important to the merger of the AFL and the NFL than he was. And that's just me personally. I mean, from just from what I'm reading, mm.
2: Uh Maybe. I mean, maybe it's 1A, one B. I'm
0: not sure. Okay. All right. That being said, let's move on to the very next one. The very next one on the list, Jim Brown. Jim Brown's legacy isn't just his incredible talent on the field with records that may still stand even if he hadn't retired at the height of his career. But Brown was also a major shift as a true African-American NFL star and striking figure in the late 1950s. Brown paved the way for scores of others to follow in his incredible star power, a champion with the Browns, and setting a new standard for running backs to come. As both a player and a pioneer, Brown set a legacy that went way beyond his playing game as a champion in other ways in the NFL. Um, how do you guys feel about Jim Brown? One
2: of the he greatest running
1: where there was, Uh He played in there where there was no other athletes, but sure.
0: I mean... I mean, but yeah. is that his fault? I, I get... No. I, no, I, hey, I,
1: you guys you guys say the same thing about Bill Russell, so I no, give no, the no. same it, energy. Give yeah. the same energy.
2: No, I get what you're saying, and, and that's not taking anything away from Bill Russell. Yeah, he... He played. I won't say he played in an era where there wasn't any athletes. He played in an era where there was uh, less games. Uh, that that's what I have said about Bill Russell. You can't take away eleven championships or anything like that. Uh, right. Jim Brown, same. Same principle. Actually, Jim Brown probably does fall under the category of uh, there were less true athletes in the league when he played. I, I have to give you that one, Raj. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, he's way. I mean, way ahead of his time. I mean, people talk about like all these great running backs that have came through. They talk about even now. They talk about guys like Derrick Henry, but back then they had, you know. You could talk about Walter Payton. You could talk about Barry Sanders. You could talk about all these great running backs. You know, Jim Brown kind of set the standard, you know, as far as being that elite rushing, you know, player. Um, And, well, and, and obviously, you know, like what Roger said, yeah, there wasn't really that many big, you know, I guess star players or elite athletes that were there playing the game at that time. But I mean, he he was pretty dominant in the field that he was in you know um you know obviously NFL champion in 1964 three time M- NFL MVP rookie of the year you know a lot of great accolades you know uh you know has over 12,000 rushing yards uh, for his career 106 touchdowns on top of 262 winners uh, 62 receiving yard uh, receptions with almost uh, 2500 receiving yards and 20 receiving touchdowns You know, very worthy of the Hall of Fame, obviously. Um, You know, but yeah, definitely a pioneer in that respect. But that being said, let's move on to the very next one on the list. Roger, it's you.
1: Um, Next on the list, shoot, is oh Johnny Unitas. Um, wait, yeah, Johnny Unitas, yeah. There had been great quarterbacks before Johnny Unitas, but he forever changed what the position could be for quarterbacks. It wasn't just his terrific play that included three NFL championships and three MVP awards and also more accolades. Uh, Unitas also shifted the power of the quarterback in play calling, the ability to command the field, and how just a few top passes could be all the difference in the game. Um, he also commanded respect while shifting quarterbacks from journeyman to a central part of the entire team. Every QB since owes United a debt of gratitude for literally changing the game. I guess. I mean, I never watched him play like that, so.
2: Yeah, I know he's he's regarded as one of the the greatest QBs, uh, ever. Ever, yeah. Um, but I I, I never did get to. To watch and play I've seen some highlights And I won't say that the highlights I've seen I mean Now I haven't watched like full highlight reels Or anything like that But the, the few tidbits of highlights I've seen here and there They, they didn't set the world ablaze to me Maybe because I'm so used to what I see nowadays But you know maybe he uh, Set the world ablaze back then
0: Yeah, I mean, when you look at the way, I mean, Johnny Unitas, maybe back then, you know, he did set the – maybe he did set it ablaze, but then again, like, you look at the quarterbacks. Let's just say the quarterbacks that came after Johnny Unitas. You know, you had your – but even quarterbacks that came before, I mean, before him was, you know, they had Bart Starr, um, you know, and Johnny Unitas, you know, especially back in 1967, you know, really, you know, it, what it said, it made it made the quarterback the vo- the focal point of the offense, because I mean, he's the one that has the ball in his hands, literally every single play. Um, so when you look, because I mean, you think it went from John Unitas in the in the '60s, in the '70s Terry Bradshaw kind of mimicked a little bit of Unitas, you know, and then other players from the '70s also kind of mimicked that style you know so if you could take like an archetype of like that old school pocket presence you know thrower of the football a lot of the attributes can go back to Johnny Unitas because of the way that he played the game now he now he wasn't like a stat machine um although he did lead the league in passing yards and touchdowns four separate times um you know, also, you know, like what we said, three time NFL MVP did win Super Bowl five with the Baltimore Colts. We had defeated the Dallas Cowboys under um uh Tom Landry. Um, so so yeah, I mean he's he was the archetype of what the quarterback became, and then other quarterbacks have since became archetypes for further generations, if that makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else you want to say about oh, uh, Unitas? Roger. Johnny, you.
1: Oh, no. I, mean, I read it.
0: <laughs> okay. Didn't know if you had an extra comment or not. All right. But that being said, let's move on to the very last one of the night.
2: Yep. Last up, we're going to talk about Jim Thorpe. Uh, so one of the greatest pure athletes in American history, Jim Thorpe was also the first NFL superstar already an Olympic gold medalist and baseball player Thorpe began playing football in 1915 for the Canton bulldogs who formed what would later become the NFL. Uh, Thorpe bounced around among six teams in that time each one utilizing his amazing skills as a runner and tough fighter. He was also the first league president, even if that was mostly a show title. Yet Thorpe's prominence as a star athlete gave him burgeoning league respectability and added to his incredible legacy as he helped create the NFL that we know today. Um, now I've heard of Jim Thorpe. Again, I... Uh, have not had the opportunity to see him play. And I haven't seen any of his highlights either. So that's, that's on me.
1: I don't even know what era he played. He played
0: in like the early as a player, he started his playing career in 1915. Did they even have TV back then? Uh, maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, but yeah, but he, his first, his first team was the Canton Bulldogs, um, who ironically enough from the years 1920 to 1927, which is the, the team's history, um, they won five championships within that, uh, I'm sorry, let me, let me, I told a lie, excuse me. Um, uh, they, from that time he won two championships from 1922 and 1923, the entire, the, 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 the team history as a whole, they won five championships, please forget me. Um, and this was all the way back to the early, 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 early days of the NFL. Um, uh, and ironically enough, he also played one year because the Canton Bulldogs, because they were based out of Canton, Ohio, the final year uh, one year that they were in production, they moved actually to Cleveland and became the Cleveland Bulldogs, which I guess when you think about today's NFL – the cleveland browns why would they have a bulldog kind of like the dog pound like why 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 was that i never understood why that was a thing turns out the cleveland bulldogs one of the very first teams which were the canton bulldogs it kind of it goes into that that mythos if you will of the of the team even though they probably didn't really have any any connection to the to the original one because the original um the original Cleveland Browns went to uh, Baltimore, Baltimore and became the Ravens. Yeah. So they have that lineage. And then the new edition of the Cleveland, the new Cleveland Browns um, was 2000 and what year, what year was that? Was the, was a franchise re uh instead 1999. I'm sorry. Yeah. 1999 um, because they were, uh from 1970 to 1995 and then that's when they left and became the Baltimore Ravens and then they reintroduced the franchise to the NFL back in 1999 uh still to this day um so all the lineage of like the Jim Thorpe's and teams like that all that is Baltimore's lineage and not necessarily Cleveland Browns lineage even though they were the Cleveland Browns back in 19 you know 70 You know they are. Their lineage goes
1: through Baltimore Ravens. So So Hanford Dixon actually gave the uh, home crowd the name the dog pound. Okay. In 1985. 1985.
0: Okay. Okay. But did that have anything to do with the Canton Bulldogs? Because they did. He called his
1: defense the dogs. They were dogs. D A W G S. Gotcha. Okay.
0: I didn't know if, but see, I. That was me just being inquisitive. I didn't know if that was a thing. I, I was trying to put two and two together. That I'm theorizing. I can do that here, right? <laughs> yeah. Cool. I feel it looks so weird. Like I'm 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 finna send you guys a picture of uh, this image. This was all the way back in 19. This is the Canton Bulldogs versus the. Masalina Tigers playing on a grid field on on November 22nd, 1906 during the quote-unquote betting scandal uh, where allegedly there was a a series of gambling that was associated with it. Give me one second. I'm going to send you guys this photograph how old this shit looks. It's a long-ass photo. Oh, come on. Show up, motherfucker. There you go you look at that and just tell me what you think. Like, it looks grainy and, like. <laughs> I don't know. It's not showing up in my messenger. Everybody's. Oh, it's not showing up in your messenger? Damn it. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see it later, I'm sure. Yeah, hopefully. But anyway. Yeah, but anyway. Uh, but yeah, those are the ten most important players in NFL history according to the Sportster. Um, before we get out of here tonight, is there any players that maybe you guys would consider important to the game? Not just, you know, the ones on the list, but like any ones that you can think of off top of your head?
1: Mm. I mean, Lawrence Taylor.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, even more recently, Tom Brady.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I, the list. Yeah, Lawrence could, Taylor definitely. Because go ahead. Yeah, as just say, the list could 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 literally go on and on and on, and we just, I, I I could probably think of fifty that I think are important. We just don't have time to talk about them all.
0: <laughs> right. But yeah, Um, but ladies and gentlemen, if there are any NFL players that you feel are important to the game or have made an important impact on the game, let us know in the comments. Uh, Let us know on all of our social media pages. Thank you guys for tuning in tonight for this episode of Something About Sports. Anything you guys want to say before we get out here tonight? As always, check out movementradio.us.
2: That is your one-stop shop for all things Movement Radio. Anything you want to
1: say, Raj? You know, subscribe to the YouTube. Thank you guys for all the views that we've been getting. We're close to 300 subscribers.
0: Yes, absolutely. Thank you guys so much. And shout out to our sponsors, man. Of course, the OG, uh, gearanime.com, audible.com, um, lily Canva, GetResponse, Elementor, Entertainment Earth, Um, W.GG and Just Cash Clothing. Again, all of our sponsors, uh, all of our friends that's been down with us since day one. You know who you are. Uh, And again, man, streamlabs.com forward slash movement radio forward slash merch. Go cop some merch. Dragon Ball Z inspired stuff. My Hero Academia inspired stuff. The new logo, the old logo. We got a whole lot of cool ideas coming out soon for the merch store. Um, Whenever you guys want to go check it out. Uh, But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening tonight. We will see you guys right back here on Monday with a brand new episode. In fact, um, this upcoming Monday um, is the... Which is a which, What is Monday's episode? I'm trying to remember. I can't remember off the top of my head what it was.
2: Ten and sixty four. I was going. With, and, there you go. There you go. Yeah, ten and sixty four yeah. games that are are not as good as you remember.
0: There you go. Um, and then of course, right back here next week with another dish of something about sports. Thank you guys. We love you. We appreciate you guys. And we'll catch you next time. Hit it
2: with the outro. Please do not leave without leaving a like, comment, share, and subscribe on your favorite
0: podcasting platform. Make sure you follow us on all of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Check out the YouTube channel. Subscribe. Click that bell to get notified of our latest videos. Streamlabs.com forward slash Movement Radio forward slash merch. Go cop some merch. And once again, check out MovementRadio.us, your one-stop shop for all things Movement Radio.
2: I am Chip Hazard. I am Talon Williams. I'm Roger Sierra. And this is Movement Radio. God's plan.